1: everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host Lolita, also joined by Kyle. In continuation of our female guests for the first quarter of 2020 and celebrating successful women in the real estate industry, we have Sandhya Sishadri joining us today. Sandhya, thanks so much for being here.
2: How are you? I'm wonderful. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on the show. It is such an honor to be here. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Sandia is
1: currently a general partner and key principal in 476 doors and a passive investor in over 2,500 doors. She intended to remain mostly passive for the stress-free cash flow, but does have one to two assets which she actively manages to qualify as a full-time real estate professional and to fully learn the business. Sandia is a firm believer that most wealthy people are involved in real estate. So after building her wealth from the stock market, she immersed herself in passively investing in multifamily and later signed up for a mentorship program that has tremendously accelerated her growth. So, so many great points in your bio, and I think you're relatable to many of the listeners out there. So let's go ahead and get started. And could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do?
2: Hi, um, I'm Sandhya Sashadri, and I've lived in Dallas for almost 30 years. I moved here from India with the intention of being an electrical engineer. So I got a full scholarship to go to SMU, which is based in Dallas, Southern Methodist University. And then I went to work for a Fortune 500 company here, who then sent me back again to school to get an MBA. So that's where my finance and business world kind of started, uh, beyond my technical world and so after working there for more than a decade i was married i had children and when my second child had special needs and other issues i decided that um a more more time with the family was definitely a bigger priority than just making more money in my career and that's when i started staying home and then investing in the stock market and because of my mba i had the confidence i had you know worked for more than a decade had a pretty good portfolio of cash to invest i of course started out in options and then began investing in pure stocks itself
3: after a while. Awesome. So as Alita mentioned, and as you just mentioned, you made most of your wealth in the stock market. So Mm -hmm. why switch over to multifamily? Because it seems like the stock market was treating you well. And you know, Mm -hmm. we can go into Mm -hmm. details about why real estate, why we think real estate is better than the stock market, but why did you decide to switch when it seemed like things were going so well?
2: Things were going really well until every April 15th, I had to write up (laughs) back to the IRS. Got it. Why am I paying so much in taxes every time? And two years ago, when our president took over, the one thing we all agree with is that he doesn't pay any taxes. So I really wanted to mimic him in that respect. And uh, beyond that, every rich person I had ever met had something to do with real estate. So I was like, I've spent so much time in the stock market, it's time to develop, you know, diversify my portfolio and get into real estate. And when I looked at all the different asset classes, a lot of people really like single family, but I didn't like the idea of self-managing, worrying about maintenance and all of those things that go with single family and fix and flip. I really wanted to be more hands off. So passive investing made so much sense. You know, Someone does all the work, But I get to make money while I sleep and then potentially get tax benefits out of it. So uh, that's what got me started in passive investing.
3: Yeah, I think it's important when you're investing in real estate, especially Mm -hmm. is you need to take consideration of your net, your net uh, gains, right? Not Mm -hmm. just what your gross are in in real estate, especially it's a very tax advantage or tax favorable Mm -hmm. asset class. Mm -hmm. So have you seen the results you've wanted to see or you thought you would see switching from the stock market over to multifamily investing?
2: In terms of tax savings, yes. I mean, I get these K-1 statements every uh, beginning of every year, and they show paper losses of the extent of like 70% of my investment. So, you know, on a 50K investment, I had 35K to show on paper losses. And once you qualify as a real estate professional, you get to take that against your spouse's W-2 income, because I'm not producing a W-2 income right now, but my spouse is, and I get to take this 35K off of his, taxable income. So right there, I'm at least saving 10k on just that one investment, right from taxes paying you know, 35k worth of income is reduced. So a third of that easily 12k or so in taxes is saved.
3: Yeah, now I know what you're talking about. But maybe you can tell the listeners here, how are you showing such a huge loss? um, When you're investing, you know, I'm guessing in Mm -hmm. year one, how are you able to show that loss?
2: Um, So there's this lovely thing called uh, cost segregation and bonus depreciation and thanks to a new President Trump's tax law that came into effect a couple of years ago, um, we get to write off um, the depreciation that you would normally take a decade perhaps on your old chillers, on your air conditioning, all of that equipment. You get to take all of that in the first year. And that's why there is such a huge amount that you get to take off. And typically in multifamily, they hire a professional company that does the study for you. And so you get a professional statement on that K-1 loss that you can take to your accountant. And it's very easy to take that off your taxes.
3: Yeah, certainly. I always suggest to people um, who you are married to somehow mm-hmm. figure out a way to have one of the spouses figure mm-hmm. out how to be a real estate professional because it can really benefit you. And like you mm-hmm. said, offset the income Um, on the W-2 side as well. So other than taxes, what has been the biggest benefit to multifamily over the stock market for you?
2: So another huge benefit is the cash flow. It's sort of like having a dividend stock that pays and pays every month. So if you picked your sponsors correctly and you picked the right property, um, all but one of my investments in 2,500 plus doors is paying me nice checks every quarter. And most of it is ACH too. So I just see this big deposit coming in every few months in my bank account from all of these investments and it's fantastic. The returns are great. I don't have to worry so much about the fluctuation of the stock market because, you know, rent is due the first of every month or at least by the fifth in most of these red states where we invest. And so, you know, people have to pay for their rent. So that, that's income is coming whether or not some CEO makes the right decision on your stock, you know, on your company.
3: Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Or so
2: we trade doesn't work right. And there's some trade law that changes and and suddenly here you go. The whole industry suffers from it.
3: Right. Right. Okay. So we mentioned the real estate professional designation earlier. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about what it is? Number one, how you can qualify and why it's such a huge benefit.
2: So um, you can certainly uh, look this up and Google as well and check with your tax professional. That's very important because every person and every case is different. But in my example where I don't have a W-2 job that takes up all my time, I qualify as long as over 50% of my time is spent doing services in uh, the real estate business. So my time is spent managing two assets actively and other assets passively. And I'm still looking for deals. So all the time I spend driving, researching all of those deals, all of that counts towards my real estate hours. And as long as I have at least 750 hours, I qualify because I don't have another W2 job. But if you had a full-time job that would take up you know, 2,000 hours a year, then your real estate activities have to exceed that. And so that's much harder to do if you had a full-time job than if you were like me without that W-2 job. So you just need 750 hours to qualify. And certainly you need to check with your tax advisor if you qualify or not, because then you can take all the passive losses for every passive investment, not just the two or three that you might actively manage. And that's why passive income is fantastic for that.
3: Yep. I, I certainly just encourage everyone just to look into that designation and mm-hmm. see if there's any way that you can, you know, benefit from that. Definitely talk to your CPA, but it's, a, it's one of those things that you don't want to pass up if it's something mm-hmm. that you can do for sure. Yeah. So, so you've become active to get that designation. Do you foresee yourself continuing to be in an active role or staying in a passive role?
2: I see myself having a 70-30 or even 80-20 split where the smaller percentage is my active deals. So one or two active deals a year because I I like to be very hands-on in my deals. So right now we closed on a deal in August that's stabilizing really well right now. So I'm kind of ready for another one. And then we did another one in October. And so those two deals will keep me going till about the first quarter. And then I'll be ready for another new deal but not more than two or three active deals at a time, because the first 30 to 60 days, you're going to be very busy with that property. And I'm going to be that active hands-on asset manager who has weekly calls with property management, et cetera. But I want to have time for my family and I want to make money while I sleep. And the easiest way to do that is passive income through real estate. I mean, you can't beat it for the value and the tax uh, write-off. So even if you make the same amount of money on a tax invest- on a stock investment, you, you don't get the tax write-offs. Instead, you pay the IRS even more because now you're bumping yourself into a higher tax bracket. Right. So you really have to balance that and have enough of these um, passive K-1 losses from your investments to where you get to pay zero taxes like our president. You know, yep. be presidential. No taxes.
3: It's it's definitely a balancing act. So, no. do you only invest now passively in your own active deals, or do you invest in other people's deals as well?
2: Oh, I invest plenty in other people's <clears throat> deals. Um, I have my own checklist for vetting my sponsorship team and the location. I love being able to drive to these properties. So, as I get my monthly reports on all these properties and I go to visit my own, I also stop and check on these properties that I'm passively invested in, which is why most of my portfolio is in Texas, because it's something I can easily drive to and check on and make sure it is um, performing. Or if they say a roof is being repaired, you know, I, I get to see it in person. I don't just believe what the sponsor tells me.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Verify model,
3: you know, that's definitely a benefit. But so what about diversification, though? So since mm -hmm. most of your portfolio is in Texas, do you worry at all that you're not diversified enough?
2: Um, I've been in Texas for almost 30 years now, so I definitely have drank the Kool-Aid here. So I'm a huge Lone Star fan and it is the Lone Star State. So kind of like the way Texas behaves, you know, the rest of the country might be in a recession, but Texas chooses not to participate. And you have this mass exodus of people moving from other states into Texas. I do have one investment in Phoenix that's doing really well, but most of my portfolio is in Texas just because of the diversified um, job and employment growth and population growth. I mean, you look at any data, it's going to tell you Texas is going to be within the top two or three states that everyone is moving into. It's a phenomenal market and has done so well for me in the last three decades. Um, the variety of industries, right? You want diversification of your of the job pool that's in there. So, But within Texas, not every market is perfect. You really need to know your state. So when you make investments, you need to study the market. And I've spent so much time studying Texas, I would have to spend a lot of time if I wanted to invest in North Carolina, which is, seems to be a really popular market now. But I don't know much about it. So why invest in a market that I don't know about? So you have to mm-hmm. spend the time to study it.
3: Yeah, so, absolutely.
2: I mean, maybe in five years. You know, right now I think Phoenix is pretty attractive. That's the second one I would go if I went outside of Texas. And certainly Atlanta is uh, pretty popular, and then Florida, certain markets in Florida.
3: Yeah, I agree. We love Phoenix and we're hoping yep. that Phoenix uh, kind of catches up to Dallas here pretty soon because that would be a pretty great yeah. city. So, <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, so, and it's very popular for people from California too. Phoenix is where a lot of them yep. its proximity helps too. So, it's just like that for me, I can hop in my car and go see about four of my properties all in the same day. You yep. know, That's a great feeling.
3: Absolutely. So, you have, I've seen your portfolio and it, it looks like you have a mix of above 100 units, under 100 units. There doesn't seem to be um, a, a size that you focus on. And I know a lot of people say, Oh, well, I'm only looking for hundred plus units or 250 <laughs> plus units. What's your rule of thumb right. there as far as the size of, of the units you invest in?
2: Well, for some people it's just pure bragging rights, right? So I put $50,000 into an 86 uh, unit portfolio. I got to put that same $50,000 into 300 units and say, Oh, I own this many doors. So just from a door point of view, people like the bigger ones because they say you get more of the economies of scale. But I look at the deal itself. I look at the financials of the deal. So if you brought me a deal that's only 50 units and there's only a handful of investors, but the numbers look really good and I'm impressed by your story and I know the location then I'm going to invest in it. So I don't, you know, size matters in some ways. Yes, I agree. But if the numbers make sense and you got a really good bargain on a 50 unit deal, hey, I'll invest in it.
3: Yeah. What about uh, just from a payroll perspective, you know, mm-hmm. having on site management versus not mm-hmm. being able to support the on site management? I mean, it really mm-hmm. depends on what market you're in, but they say between 70 and 80 units is where you can yes. start to afford that oh, full time yeah. management. So in a mm-hmm. 50 unit, which, you know, we've got a 42 unit. And mm-hmm. so we certainly look in that space too. But what do you say uh, as far as that's concerned when you have, you know, property that can have full time on site management versus uh, something they can't support it?
2: So absolutely. If this was an active asset I was going to purchase myself and actively manage, yes, my criteria is also 100 plus doors because I want to be able to afford uh, property management. We have an 86-unit property in uh, Cleburne, which is a suburb of uh, uh, Dallas. It's about 30 minutes from Fort Worth. Uh, We have a part-time maintenance man, and then we have a full-time leasing manager, and it's doing great, but I wouldn't go too much smaller than that if I had to... Uh, buy the asset because I want to be hands off. I really want a property management company running it. And so for those numbers to work, yes, 100 plus units makes sense. So I was thinking more on the passive side, I would be in if you know, if three, four people went in, and I know them to be solid asset managers, I wouldn't mind being the fifth or sixth person to invest in a smaller property. Got
3: it. What else do you look for when you're investing passively in a deal?
2: The biggest thing is a sponsorship team. So I have a long checklist on how to vet a sponsorship team that I can provide to the listeners at the end of this. I can tell them how to reach me. But um, in terms of the sponsorship team, their experience in doing a similar kind of deal in a similar market that they are presenting the deal to me, that's very important. Have they worked together before? Because you could have two or three great individuals who have got a, Great track record in the past, but they may all be strong personalities and not work well together. So have they clearly delineated their roles and uh, responsibilities to where they're going to work well as a team? Have their property management companies' numbers uh, agreed? And does the property management company have experience in that market? Because they may be great in a different market, but if they're clueless about the city, you know, then you're not going to know, for example, that south of downtown Dallas is a very high crime area. So if you don't have that experience and knowledge, you're gonna say, oh, what a great zip code within minutes of downtown Dallas, and you're gonna invest in it. And if you don't have the experience to deal with a high crime area, there you go. you know, The deal is gonna go fast. And so that's why um, location, knowledge of the crime data in that location, the market, the diversity of jobs, um, and then vetting your sponsorship team would be some of my biggest criteria in uh, passively investing.
3: Yep. Awesome. Lolita's going to take us into our final five questions. Are you ready?
2: are. Sure. This episode of the podcast
1: is brought to you by asset protection attorney, Wayne Patton. We all spend a lot of time thinking about ways to make more money, but how much time have you spent thinking about legal strategies to protect your wealth? Whether you're a professional, an investor, or an entrepreneur, you are at risk of being targeted in a lawsuit. Wayne is an attorney who specializes only in asset protection strategies, like the use of offshore trusts. If you'd like to learn more about how you can protect your assets, visit mwpadden.com or assetprotection.law. Mention this podcast and Wayne will waive his customary $750 initial consultation fee. Again, the website is mwpadden.com or assetprotection.law or you can call Wayne at 877-727-1092. Call now and get protected today. All right, Sandia, here we go. What advice would you give to women out there looking to get started in real estate investing?
2: Well, the first thing I would ask is, have you already been in real estate before? or Are you brand new? Like when I came in from, you know, the electronics world into real estate. Because if you've done single family before, then I would say, try to partner with a more experienced uh, team member and get into multifamily actively right away. But if you've never been in real estate and you want to get into real estate, I would say start passive and then build a relationship. Invest passively with someone with whom you would want to partner and do your own active deal and learn the business. And if you really want to accelerate it, there are dozens of mentoring programs out there pick one that specializes in the market you're interested in. So if you're going to be based in Dallas, there are a couple of mentoring programs very popular here, but again, see the markets they invest in and choose a mentoring program.
1: Yep. That's great advice. What is the one tool that you use in real estate investing that you could not do without?
2: Um, I think like, for example, a simple thing like Calendly just to keep track of your appointments is extremely useful. Someone else who runs your website for you like a virtual assistant is what I think I'm going to need pretty soon. I'm hearing so much positive feedback from others um, about using virtual assistants for everything from maintaining your Facebook page um, to managing your day-to-day emails and things related to this. that, That would be the second thing I would recommend when you scale up.
1: Yep. Awesome. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing so far and the main takeaway for our listeners?
2: So the biggest mistake I made was um, when I chose a sponsor. I really liked this person. I had no reason to believe they were going to be dishonest or anything. And none of that has actually happened. However, they didn't have the experience to really take on this kind of a deep value add deal. So that's the only deal for which now it's been almost a year and it hasn't been cash flowing yet. Mm. And I mean, the property is still holding its value. So I should get my principal back. It's just, I was hoping that within six months they would start doing more with it. And I haven't seen the progress and I just think it's their lack of experience.
1: Yeah. In that that case, what would you have done differently? Would you have vetted the person a little bit more? You said that it was a personal friend of yours. So, um, any advice that, you know, a, a listener might take from that?
2: Yes. What is your past experience in doing a similar type of property? because you may have done yield plays and stable properties, but for a deep value add, it takes a different kind of mindset. And so if you have never done that before, do you have a mentor who's going to guide you through that mm-hmm. so that your plan will actually work in turning this property around? Mm-hmm. So that would be the question to ask the sponsor if they're doing a deep value add. You may not get your money for a while and it's that okay.
1: Yeah, awesome. Uh, what is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level?
2: Um, in terms of real estate, um, I need to partner more with, uh, more experienced sponsors to scale up because I haven't really looked at doing huge deals yet. And Mm -hmm. so I need to be less hands-on and be willing to let go a little bit and say, okay, I trust you to do this and I trust you to do this. So I'll only do this part so we can all together scale up and I need to practice that. Fantastic.
1: Awesome. And lastly, where can people
2: find out more about you? Um, I have a website, multifamily, the number 4UYOU.com. And so come there and you can fill out a questionnaire and I can send you all my passive checklists and all kinds of information and how to find me. So it's right. multifamily4YOU.com.
1: Perfect. Well, it sounds like you're doing all the right things. So congratulations on all the success so far. And thanks so much for sharing your journey with us and for being on our show.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Kyle and Lolita. That was so nice of you. I look forward to, I listened to a lot of your podcasts already and really enjoy them. So it's very exciting to be one, be your guest. Thanks,
1: Thanks, Thank
2: you, Cynthia.
0: Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Passive Income through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.